0: reach out and give someone the gospel. Even if you don't have the words, let the word go forth. The Bible says it doesn't return void. It will not return to the Lord empty. The word is living and powerful. When we send it out, it comes back and bears fruit. Men, so we're going to share, we're doing uh, John chapter 9. We're going to through the gospel of John. A little bit of background about John and, and John's if you're not familiar with your Bible, just kind of the way that the the biographers Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John write, they're all writing about Jesus. Obviously, they're all telling the same stories. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic; in other words, they they're similar. They tell they sell they're speaking from the same world. John is exemplary. He speaks a little bit. He starts. John's whole goal was to tell the story that wasn't told. You know, he's talking about things about Jesus that we're not already covered. How do we know that? Well, John's gospel was the last gospel written. And so it, it's believed that John was trying to write the things that weren't, that weren't covered and trying to exemplify those things. One of the things with John is John, say with me, John, John never takes the lens off of Jesus. His camera's on Jesus the whole time. And the other writers, the camera's on different things. But with John, he just never takes his eyes off Jesus. What a beautiful thing. John also was the one who laid his head on the heart of the Lord. So, John's fixation and his desire for the heart of Jesus is reflected in the gospel. It tells us in. What's the first Bible book you're told to read if you're a Christian? When you become a Christian, you. Right, exactly. Where do I start? Start in John, as everybody says. It's, uh, it's written to the whosoever's. Your name's in the Bible. Say that with me. My name's in the Bible. I'm a whosoever. You are. You're a whosoever. You're somebody to Jesus. And so John's written in that, in that kind of form, in that kind of context. And so we're going to start chapter 9, and so I'm going to read you about 12 verses, and then we're going to break it down. It says, Now as Jesus passed by, he saw a blind man who was blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And Jesus said, Neither the man sinned nor his parents, but this is an opportunity to demonstrate the work of God. He says, I must work. And do the works of the one that sent me, for the night is coming when no one will work. And as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he said these things, he spat on the ground, and he made clay out of his saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated "Sent." And so when he went and washed, the man came back seeing. Therefore the neighbor said, is this the guy that was blind? Isn't this the guy? And someone said, yeah, this is him, one. Another said, nah, this isn't the guy, but it looks like him. And then the man said, no, I'm the guy. And so therefore, they said to him, how were your eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man called Jesus came and made clay, anointed my eyes, and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went there and I washed, and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? The man said, I don't know. Why are you asking me, man? I've been blind for my whole life. I don't even know where where is. You know, you're going to ask me who he is. I've only seen three people. I've seen him and you two. That's about all I've seen, so... Anyway, so what's going on here? Jesus is leaving the temple. In the whole chapter, of 8th chapter, a lot of interaction going on in the temple. The Lord is teaching, and he's calling people to himself, and he's building this kingdom, and he's trying to get people to come on page with, them, with, where, with who he is and what he's calling them forth to do. And during that whole sort of uh, discussion in, in chapter John of 8, the Pharisees are challenging him. The Pharisees were a group of religious leaders. They were the religious sect of the Jews. They were very, say it with me, they were very fair, you see. Yeah, they were rule keepers. So the rule keepers were the Pharisees. They were the ones who had told everybody, you know, what to do and how to do it. There was pro- I don't know what the percentage was. I, I knew it a few weeks ago, but there was basically uh, just literally thousands of Pharisees in the city of Jerusalem. So if you went to Jerusalem, there would be religious police on every corner, basically, looking over your shoulder and watching you. Some churches are like that, actually. You know, there's like a, you know, I don't know if you, you know, you know, you don't get out much. I mean, I've been there. I don't know, sorry. You know, where you been, where you been? Where you been? Haven't seen you in you know, anyways, another story. But so these Pharisees, these religious rule keepers would come and they were challenging Jesus. They were challenging him on a variety of topics. They would throw the woman with adultery in front of him and say to him, you know, what do you say here? This is what the law says. They were challenging him on relationships to the law. And then they would say to him, we're sons of Abraham. Jesus said, I'm of my father, and you're of your father. And they say, wait a second, we're of Abraham. And Jesus is like, you're not of Abraham. He said, if you knew Abraham, you would love me, because Abraham saw my day and rejoiced. They said, well, we're sons of God. He said, you're neither sons of God, nor you're sons of Abraham. You're sons of the devil. You see, in God's economy, there's only two families. Whether we like it or not, the defined truth, as the heaven sees, is we're either in the family of God we're either in the kingdom of God or we're seeds of the, or sons of the devil. That's what he told these religious people. They were extremely religious. There's no middle ground here. You know what I mean? There's no, there's no kind of in-between world. Jesus put a definitive line down. And he says, you're either in light or you're in darkness. There's no gray area. You're either born again and a believer or you're over here and you're, 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 sons, and, you're, sons, of, you're sons of the devil. And so he's leaving the temple. Very harsh reality, but it's very true. And say Christianity is exclusive, absolutely. Christianity, say with me, is exclusively inclusive. inclusive. When you give your life to Jesus, you become part of the family. You're born again. You're restored. You're redeemed. You're given an inheritance, a hope and a future, a, a, a path forward. You're given power, life eternal. And then you're given power and ability to understand and overcome in the now. That's what you're given if you're a Christian. But if you're not a Christian, you're outside of that world. So it's an easy opportunity just become born again. Give your life to Christ. And so Jesus, as he's leaving the temple, the the reason that he left the temple is because he was having this discussion with these Pharisees, and he used the divine name. He said, I was 40. They looked at him, and they said, you're not 50 years old, man, and you're saying you saw Abraham? Abraham saw you? How is this possible? And Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am and he just wasn't saying I am. He used the Tetragrammaton, which is the divine name Yahweh, and he said before Abraham was Yahweh. Drop the mic, right? I'm God. And so they picked. They knew what he, they knew exactly what he was saying. And they picked up stones to kill him, which because to them he was committing blasphemy. He was making himself equal with God. He invokes the divine name, which is really interesting, because what is the divine name? And what does it mean? What is Yahweh? So Yahaveh is Yahweh in Hebrew. And in the Greek, it's where we get Jehovah. So when it's translated from the Hebrew, it's Yahweh. When it's translated in Greek, it's Jehovah. It's the same name. It's just different, different transliterations in the language, right? So you have Yahaveh. What does Yahaveh mean? Yah means I am. I am all that was. This is, his name is literally, say it with me. His name is his nature. His name is my inheritance. Through the name of God and through the names of God that he has reveals himself to in scripture, the Lord reveals his nature. And as he reveals his nature, he reveals inheritance. Jehovah Jireh means what? That's right. Thank you right there. High five to the man in over here, right? So what is God's nature? To provide, to provide for his people. Actually, that Jehovah Jireh means I provide and I, am the provi- I, and, and I provide in the future. It's like I'm providing. I will take care of you. That's a promise to his people. The promise of provision is there. Jehovah Rapha is what? The healer, the healer. right? He's a healer. So what's God? what is God? He's a healer, right? So in his name is the healer. So if you look at it, Jehovah, or Yahweh, Yahweh-Rapha, or yahweh Rophe, whichever way you want to pronounce it. I am the healer who was, who is, and whoever will be. That's what he's saying. So his name, Yah, means I am who was. Hayah is the center verb, or the center thing, and it means Hayah means now. So Yah, Ha, Haya, or right now, I was, I am right now, and then the veh means the becoming beauty. Now, how, how absolutely unbelievably cool is that. He's not just the one who's coming, he's the one who brings beauty. Amen. I am who was. I am as who is right now, and I am the one who brings the beauty into your future. So when you come to Christ, all that has been, and all that is right now, will become my, the Lord is my becoming beauty. This is this whole, his, his name literally defines the transformative nature of who he is. His desire is to be the God of your past, to heal, restore, reclaim all that is broken, to bring you into the now, into a reality, and to get you to grasp him in the now in order that he might bring forth beauty in your future. I'm sorry, who's doing that for you, right? People say it's it's too good to be true. No, it's so good it is true. This is who he is. His design and desire is always to create beauty, always to create beauty, always to create beauty. What's beauty? I don't know. What's beauty to you? You know, but his design and desire is to bring you from where you have been into where you are and into a beautiful and hopeful future. Jeremiah 29, it all harmonizes. It's all there. And so Jesus is coming out of the temple. They picked up rocks to stone him. So he's got a murderous mob of religious psychopaths that want to kill him. And Jesus is just like, peace out. And he leaves. And as he's leaving the temple, right, he's not running. He just walked away. Right? He just leaves. And as he's leaving the temple, because the beggars would gather at the temple gate. That's where they would gather. Why? That's where the people were. Right? We see them at the intersections. Right? Why are they there? Because that's where the cars are. You know? They're not in the alleyway going, hey, anybody got any money? They're standing at the, you know, you know, why lie? I need a beer. You know, they're standing at the corner. You know, you know what I'm talking about? The beggars were at the temple gate because that's where the people were coming and going. And so Jesus exits the temple, walks out, and there's a blind man. He's in no hurry. And he heals the blind man. Crazy. Say it with me. Jesus is on no one's agenda. That's right. He's on nobody's agenda. This is what Joshua said to Jesus appeared before the walls of Jericho. He said, are you for us or are you for my enemies? He said, I'm neither for you nor for your enemies. I'm for myself. That tells you right now what God's all about. You say, God's all about me and my best life now. No, he's not. No, he's not. He's about his agenda and you know what he does? This is so beautiful. He invites you to become a part of his agenda. Amen. How beautiful is that? Yeah. He's not about your agenda. You know, the narcissist stuff has gotta stop. He's not about you. He's about himself. He loves you and he's for you, but his desire is to bring you onto his plan, his mission, his purpose. And there is a plan and a purpose and a mission for your life. God has it. You say, I feel called to business. That's amazing find out what God's plan and purpose is for that business. And he will manifest through it. He will will move through it. This is how it works. He's not on their agenda. They're not going to force his hand. They're not going to control the narrative. Nobody controls the narrative. Jesus controls the narrative. You're not going to dictate to me what I do and what I don't do. I'm in authority here. You're not, right? That's how it is. Jesus told Pilate, he said, you would have no power over me at all if it were not given to you from above. You think I'm subjected to you? You think I am under your authority? I'm not under your authority. The authority that you hold over me has been granted to you. And if you wanted, I could ask my father, and before I even finished the sentence, 10,000 angels would appear, and it would be lights out for all y'all. But I didn't. So the authority that you see me in submission, it's not because I'm under your authority, it's because I allow it. You got me? Right. Je- say it with me. Jesus, Jesus. Well, let's go even go further. The Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit subordinates to no one. No one. That's why people go, How do we hear God? How come we can hear God? Because the Holy Spirit subordinates to no one. When you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you, He speaks. You got me? He's not going, oh, well, i got to wait for Lucifer to say something to you, too, and then i got to wait for all the other deceiving spirits to say something, too, and then maybe, just maybe, I'll say something. It doesn't work like that. The Spirit of God subordinates to no one, nobody. The devil's not your terror. You are the devil's terror. That's right. Sons and daughters of the highest, clothed in power. That's what you are. Realm takers, chain breakers. Right? Kingdom builders. That's right. On purpose with a purpose. Called into a family that in a unified family like this, we might accomplish great things, not as individuals, but together. That's the goal. Individuals gathered together in a corporate environment, moving forward into the purposes of God that creates greatness. Each one of us in different roles, in different settings, doing different things for different purposes. All of us for bringing honor to our Father. So man cannot see Jesus, this guy can't see Jesus, say with me, the man couldn't see Jesus, but Jesus sees him, aren't you glad, (laughs) even when I can't see Jesus, I want you to say this with me, even when I can't see Jesus, Jesus sees me, he sees you, so Matt and Rocio uh, a couple weeks ago brought a couple to me that were in town out of um, Orlando, right, so, their friends come. I, didn't know, I still don't even know their names, but it's all good. So, if I butcher this story, I've given Matt permission to help me. So, Matt's going to help me. So, I think I'm going to get it right. I hope I'm going to get it right. If not, there might be some objects being thrown at me. So, you know. So, they bring the couple up to me, and, and as they're bringing this couple up, you know, just to meet me and everything or whatever, just say hi, you know, normal stuff. And so, as they bring this couple up to me, this is all about Jesus seeing you. This woman comes, they come up, and the, the girl, what was her name? Brandy. Brandy. Trinity. Oh, what a name. Her name is Trinity. And Trinity is glowing like an LED light bulb. I mean, she's just like poof. You know, in the prophetic school we teach you, it's called highlighting. The Lord highlights someone to you. Like she's highlighted and immediately I can feel the Holy Spirit talking to me. And I'm like going, okay, I don't know these people, Lord. I just met them. Hi, how you doing? Boop. You know, and I'm going to like drop word on them. And then Matt, Matt, they're, they're bringing them to me too. And I'm not even really sure where they're at with that. Are they comfortable with me doing this either? So I'm thinking, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do here, and I, but I could feel the Holy Spirit. And I'm like, what do you want me to do? And he's like, I could already feel the ping that he's telling me to go forward with this. He's like, ask her what she does. I'm like, okay, I can do that. And I said, what do you do? She's like, oh, I run a food hall up in Orlando. I said, oh, okay. I said, do you ever do anything medical? She's like, no, no, not at all. You, you went to school with her, right? Did you? Yeah, so they went to school together. I said, did you go to school for anything medical? And she's like, no, no, not at all. I said, have you ever had the desire to do anything medical? And she's like. Well, maybe when I was a little girl. I was like, okay. And I said, do you ever work with children? Yeah, I'm, I'm winning, right? Really on. So, um, so then I asked her, I asked her, I said, do you ever work with kids? And she's like, no, never, never work with kids. And I said, you know, you work with kids. And I said, okay, let me tell you what I'm seeing. I said, I see you. You're like working with children, like in a medical capacity, like on the mission field. It feels like the mission field to me. And you're like working with children. And I said, and I just see you and you're really alive when you're doing this. You're really like full of vigor. Like I'm so alive. I feel so alive and amazed. Like, like I could just feel the life in her when she was doing that in this thing that I was seeing. And I said, so I would just say to you, if you ever have the opportunity to go on a mission field, to go on a mission trip and work with kids, you should probably do that. And she's like, she just nods and she looks at me. And then her boyfriend says, are you getting a specific region of the world? <laughs> yeah, or any countries? And I'm like, oh, okay. And so, I mean, I love to be challenged. I like, to be, I like it. And so she's like, are you getting any? And I just looked at her, I said, Ghana. And when I said Ghana, what happened? She what? She burst into tears. Come here, Matt. Why did she burst into tears? Come on, Matt. So I got to find a microphone. I don't know if I have one, but let me see. Do we have one? Yeah? All right. She's going to project. Right, so gonna... why did she project? Why did she burst into tears? So she, she, uh, she burst into tears because her grandfather was a missionary in Ghana. And uh, Her grandfather was a missionary in Ghana. Wow. Yeah. really because you know she felt like it was god's fault and uh, so trinity was blaming the lord for her the loss of her grandfather yeah yeah and so you know in that moment like you know we could all feel holy spirit like just you know trinity felt so seen in the fact that like did her grandfather tell her she was didn't she give her like a word and weren't you telling me this like they told her That she would go to Ghana. Where? Oh, yeah, this is God? Yeah, sure, this is God, big boy? Where is he he calling it out from? And so this woman, so thank you so much, man, I appreciate it. So, but... Here's here's the bigger story. Like like that was amazing. But then I I I'm, I'm like I'm driving home and I thought, wow, that was killer, man. It was like Ghana. Like I could feel Ghana. I could feel it. It was like Ghana. I'm like, Ghana. You know what I mean? I mean Ghana. You know anybody know where Ghana is? It's like a postage stamp on the southern, on the on the, down, on the on the curve of Africa. Yeah. It's like it's like it's like of all the places, it's like Ghana. And so I tell her Ghana. And then I'm going home and I start talking to the Holy Spirit about it. I said, what kind of missionary was he? Because there's all different kinds of missionaries, people. There's like bench builders, and there's this type, and there's that type, and, and there are people that actually do the work or do the evangelism and do the, do the kingdom building. So it's like I will kind of, this, I didn't tell you this, is I heard the Holy Spirit say he was no joke. And so I told my wife this when I got home, and I told her about the whole Ghana thing, and then I told her um, like he was no joke. And my wife, who clarifies, she sounds amazingly like the Holy Spirit, so she starts helping me, and she's like, wow. She's like, that is so powerful. It's like her grandfather serves in a place where no one sees. No one sees. Didn't have a million Instagram followers, didn't have a YouTube channel, didn't have any of that. The man serves in obscurity. Serves in obscurity, unseen by the world. But when you ask the Holy Spirit who he was, the Holy Spirit says, no joke. No joke. Unseen by people, but seen of God. And you don't believe Jesus sees you, right? Man couldn't see Jesus. Jesus saw him, and Jesus tells me that man was no joke. And then my, my wife was telling it even further. She's like, look at the faithfulness of God, the faithfulness of her ancestor to serve him, and the faithfulness of her ancestor, and that all of these things were connected to that, to that, and that God puts the word in the mouth of a prophet and tells this girl who's in a really difficult place in her life that this word is true, and that, this, that your grandfather was seen, and I see you. I mean, come on, man. You know? Crazy. Oh, no, I'm, I don't remember what I said to the dude, but I'll never forget Ghana. That one I'll never forget. I was like, I, I mean, they got me in the blind. I mean, she's just looking at me the whole time like this. I mean, there was no, no response. I'm like, you, you know what I mean? I'm just like, she's like, and then her boyfriend's like, where? You see a region? And it was like Ghana. And then it was then everything just erupted with emotion. And I'm like, okay, well, I guess Ghana means something. <laughs> My what? Oh, my message, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 They said that the night before, they were saying almost exactly the same things I said in the teaching. And they were like, did you talk to him? Right, right. Yeah, yeah. And even that they're, you know, drifting from the Lord. God sees you, people. He sees you. Say it. Because he sees me. Come on. He knows me and he cares. That's the idea. That's the whole point of a prophetic word. God sees you. He knows you, and he cares about you. He sees you. He knows you're angry with him. I didn't know that, but that's the whole message to her. He knows you're angry with him, but he sees you. He knows you feel lost, and he cares, and in the midst of all of this, he knows everything about you. I know nothing about you, but the Holy Spirit knows everything about you, and he cares, and he cares. It's just so amazing, so beautiful, so powerful, And so God sees you even when other people don't. It's amazing. You know, even if you serve in obscurity, the things that you do, the things that you do, you you know, not everybody, you know, we're all called to ministry. Every one of us has a ministry. The first ministry is reconciliation, that we bring people to Jesus. That's ministry one. Then a second ministry is what has God called you to do? Not everybody's called to platform ministry, but we're called to serve Jesus in any and every sphere of life that we're in. And we are to navigate and become a minister in whatever sphere that is. What does that look like? I don't know. You have to work that out with him. But we're all called to serve and we're all called to minister. And if you think that what you do is less than what men esteem, what is esteemed of men is despised of God. We celebrate the platform ministry, right? We celebrate that a lot. And that, that, that's not necessarily what God so- celebrates. God celebrates faithfulness and obedience to what he has told you to do. That's what he celebrates. He doesn't celebrate what men celebrate. The Bible says, What is done in secret will be proclaimed from the housetop. So you'll see this man walking in the kingdom, and the Holy Spirit will be the herald. It says they will herald you from the housetop. Whatever his name is. And this man, missionary to Ghana. No joke. The Lord will herald it from the housetop. Here comes missionary to Ghana, unseen by men, but seen by the Lord. No joke. What will he say over you? Here comes Joe Smith, crickets. (laughs) The Bible says that We we will be led in a procession and we will be proclaimed over from the housetops. We will be heralded, heralded. He had a wonderful shell collection, didn't do anything for Jesus, but he had an amazing stock portfolio and the angels will be like what you get me we're all called to serve him we're all called to honor him so jesus was saying i must work we're all called to work another story he say they asked this question who sinned right so they're asking a theological question who sinned did this man sin did his family sin where's the sin coming from so they had the idea they had it right that say it with me sickness and disease come from the devil and that sin Comes from the devil. So they had that right. There's some churches that need to learn this theology because they think sickness comes from God. Who told you that? Sin produces sickness and disease. Every good and perfect gift comes down from above from the Father of lights in whom there is no shadow of turning. Right? In him his light is no darkness at all. If it's not good and perfect, it's not from Jesus. Where does it come from? The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. It comes in the devil. It comes from the devil. So the theology of sin, sin is of the devil. 1 John. He sinned from the beginning. Ezekiel 28 says iniquity was found in him. He was perfect in all his ways until iniquity was found in him. This word iniquity is the seed of transference. The seed of transference was found in you. And so here we have the devil being found with the seed of his rebellion, the seed of his transference. All the things that he did, he was cast down. He came down to the earth, and he was presented before the image bearers. So the idea was the father has cast him out. And now I want the sons and daughters to cast him out. Like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. Do as I do. Say as I say. On earth as it is. And the devil comes down, and instead of casting him out, our ancestors make an agreement with him. Happy day. You know what I mean? And so the agreement was, God doesn't want you to eat that because God is not good. God doesn't want you to have that because he's keeping something from you. God doesn't want you to have that because, you see, you're not really worthy of his love. If you were worthy of his love, then he would give you that. If God was really good, he would give you that. But you see, he's not good, and you're not worthy, and he's keeping something from you. It's all God's fault. It's not yours. It's God's fault. However, if you take this, you'll be like God, and you won't need him anymore. You won't need him. God is an oppressive taskmaster. Do what I have done and liberate yourself. Little did they know they were enslaving themselves and all of us. And so they took and they ate and received within them the transference, the iniquity of the devil. Separating themselves from their father, man fell. And sin comes into us and we are born with it, but sin manifests itself and continues to grow. And what happens is sin affects, sin has affected every area of this world, its systems. It's thought processes, it's ideologies, it's governments. Sin permeates, and sin ultimately produces death. And so sin comes from the devil. And you say, well, wait a second, didn't God make the angels? Yes, he did, but he gave them a choice. The angels had a choice just like you and I, just like every believer and unbeliever now. You have a choice to give your life to Christ, or you have a choice to openly reject him, but you don't have a choice to stand between. There's, there is no middle ground here. You know, you either choose it, who is not for me is against me. Who does not gather unto me will be scattered, utterly cast out. That's what he's saying. There's no middle ground. Well, I'm going to kind of wait and see how things play out. You know, I'm going to kind of stand in between. Can't do it. Can't do it. Angels had a choice. Lucifer is the word lucent. They say it's translated light bearer. This is true, but it really means light reflector. Lucifer was never the source of light. Nor could he be, but he stood. He was a throne guardian. He stood before the presence of the Lord and reflect the glory of God unto all the angels. He was given a great honor and a great privilege because he was beautiful. Because Jesus hey, well, Jesus is beautiful, right? Because Jesus is beautiful. You're, you all are beautiful. There's beauty in you and on you and all around you. And his very nature is to bring the beauty into your life. So Lucifer was created like this, but Lucifer started worshiping himself. He's like, man, I am amazing. Wow. How many Facebook followers you got, Michael? 10,000? Dude, I got 10 million. I'm off the chart here. You know what I'm saying? And Lucifer used his influence for himself. You get the picture? This is the sin of the devil. Anything that we use towards ourselves that has no, Jesus has, does not have a Jesus component to it is not of God. It's worldly. It's carnal. It's wisdom of the world. The Bible says that wisdom that is of the world is not of God. It's demonic. It can look good, it can feel good, doesn't mean it has horns on it, but it's demonic. And if it's demonic, it will produce death. That's what Jesus, that's what the devil does. Every area that he inhabits, he creates a wasteland, the Bible says. Devil makes all habitations that he owns or claims a wasteland. Easy way to see where you need deliverance in your life, where's the wasteland? You got a wasteland? Probably there's a lie there, there's a habitation there. Got a wasteland in your finances? If there's a wasteland there, that probably means Jesus isn't there. Jesus is the Genesis God. He shows up and there's a garden. Boom, that's what he does. Flowers flying around, you know, life teams. Where the devil is, there's a wasteland. Wasteland in your relationships? What lie do you believe? Where's the devil? It's just, it's, it relates to that. There's something going on there. I, hopefully I'm not digging myself too deep where I can't have enough time to bring it around, but that's the idea. Sin is of the devil. Lucifer fell. We entered into an agreement with him. We received iniquity. Iniquity is transferred. Now we were born of the seed of Jesus. The Bible says corruptible seed receives incorruptible seed. We receive, we become born of Christ, the last Adam. We're no longer born of the seed of the devil. We're born of the seed of God, of the seed of Jesus himself, which means our nature and our blessing no longer relates to this world. Our blessing relates to his world. That's why when Christians try to make things work in this world without Jesus, it doesn't work. Can I get a witness, anyone? I don't care how smart you are. You try to do it this way, and it doesn't work. But every time you bring God into the partnership, and you bring God into the obedience, and you bring God into the servitude, and your servitude and your submission is locked into him, things begin to change. Even when it goes bad, it goes good. Even when it goes down, rest assured, you're coming up. Right? The fire rages around you, but it won't burn you. The deep waters threaten you, but they won't swallow you. That's your promise. That's not the unbeliever's promise. That's your promise. Rather than casting out the devil, mankind became seduced by him. Like, wow, he's beautiful. I tell people he's an angel of light. Say, if the devil came in, we'd all run away. No, if the devil came in, you'd be tempted to worship him. He's beautiful. He glows. He glitters. He's the shining one. That's what the word means. He's shiny. He's glittery. (laughs) Sin enters, corruption defiles, sin and sickness. Sin, sickness, and dis-ease is all the product of sin. So they got that part right. They understood this isn't of God. This blindness didn't come from you, Lord, and it's not not of the Father. They got that. They understood that. Their theology was correct. They asked two big questions. They said, is this personal? Is this related to a personal sin? Or is this related to a generational sin? Jesus said, neither. This is an opportunity. This is related to the system of sin. So Jesus never denied personal sin has consequences, and Jesus never denied that there isn't generational sin. And he's saying neither. This is not personal, and this is not generational. This is consequential. There are things that are just part of the sin system. It's like you. You didn't do anything wrong. And like a refrigerator falls out of the sky. Whack! And you're like, what in the world? What happened here? You say, what did I do? You didn't do anything. It's a sinful system full of sinful people. Right? It's not, you're not always to blame for the things that happen to you, right? I mean, maybe, but oftentimes things just calamity just comes, man. And it's a broken world with a broken system, like it or not. But your promise as a believer is that the broken system will not swallow you. That's your promise as a believer. He works all things out to your good, not your story. Refrigerator fell out of a sky. Jesus is like, awesome. I'm going to turn that into a Cooler. Right? <laughs> well, I want you to put a barbecue grill right next to it, because we're going to have a party and that thing right there. Don't worry about that. We're going to turn that into a cooler. Go get some ice. Right? That's what Jesus does. He turns it around, man. He turns it around. What the devil meant for evil, the Lord means for good." So Joseph told his brothers, "What you meant for evil, the Lord turned it for good. And what the devil means for evil, the Lord will turn it for good every single time. You don't know how he's going to say it with me, I don't know how he's going to work it out but he's going to work it out. Come on. He's going to work it out. It's what he does. It's what he does. It's who he is. He can't be anything other than what he is. It's what he is. He's in the restoration business. He restores. He renews. Palingenesia. That's his power. Restoration, regeneration. That's what he does. It's his nature. He can be nothing other than his nature. He's good all the time. The sickness and disease comes into the world, so they're asking, is it a personal sin, is it a is generational sin? Which leads to the question, is there such thing as generational sin? Now, at Elevate, I probably, hopefully I don't have to explain it too much, but there are people that don't believe that there's anything called generational sin. Generational curses, I should say. This is how we relate it. And, and the, the verses are very, very clear. So they'll say, Jesus became a curse for us. Cursed is anyone who nailed on a tree. True. We have been redeemed from the curse of the law. True. There is therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus sets us free from the law of sin and death. True, absolutely true. But I'm gonna bless you, Rudy, because I picked on you a couple weeks ago. So if Rudy has an apartment and somebody took it from him and Rudy goes down to the judge and the judge rules in Rudy's favor and stamps the paper and says, the apartment's yours. Can you just walk in and take possession of it? You no, know, you, need, you need an enforcement you need an enforcing power. The judge decrees it's legally yours, but without the enforcing power, it doesn't manifest. You cannot take possession of it unless the enforcing power is applied. You understand what I'm saying to you? Yes. So in the spirit, in his world, you are free. In his world, you are seated on heavenly, in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That is a fact. There is no higher spiritual authority in any realm other than Jesus, and you're sitting right next to him. There is no higher spiritual authority than the Holy Spirit, and he resides within you. However, if we look at this world, it doesn't look like we're seated in heavenly places at all, does it? You know, come on, we can be honest, right? Where is that? How does that translate here? Well, it's his world. That's why it's on earth as it is. Take that reality, that truth, and manifest it. One of the ways you have to do this, you have to reclaim your territory. God brought Israel out of Egypt. They're saved, they're born again. They were supposed to inherit the promised land, but they had to fight for it. God's like, look, you're saved, you're my sons and daughters. He took them and adopted them, the Bible says, at the mountain. He took them as his children at the mountain. He takes you as his sons and daughters. You're his children. And he says, and guess what? Happy day. I got amazing things for you. I have a life and a plan of milk and honey. Right? Milk and honey. Right? Not really my diet choice, but it sounds good, you know? Milk and honey. Can I get some oatmeal to go with that? Sure you can. Right? I have nothing but good for you. I have milk and honey. Nothing good, nothing but nothing but no evil. Plans to prosper you, plans to give you hope, give you a future, not of evil. You're going to go, I'm going to create the beauty, the ve, Yahweh. This is what I want for you. I decree it over you. I legally grant you the authority to possess it. But you must become the enforcement arm of the kingdom or it will not manifest. It will not. You're born again, you're saved, but there are things within you So the way the devil works, this is important. This is what generational curse is, what generational curse looks like. So, right, all right, so how far am I going to go with this? All right, so inside, everybody say with me, inside out. out. The way we're healed, we are healed inside out. We're healed based upon, every one of us has baggage. We have baggage from our childhood. I don't care if your dad was Mr. Brady, you still got issues with your dad. I don't care if your mom was Mrs. Brady or whoever it is that you, you know, I don't know if it was the Huxtables. I don't care if, it was doctor, if your dad was Dr. Huxtable, right, and your mom was Mrs. Huxtable. I don't care if that was who they are. You're still going to have issues related to your childhood. Why? Because you were raised by broken people. That's the first thing. So you have, you have trauma. That's the first area of healing, and it works in phases. You, if you do inner healing, you say, why do we do inner healing? Because God's the God of the past, you can't heal your past. I'm delivered and I'm free. I'm forgiven from my past. Yes, you are. Then why does your soul still long for a father who abandoned you at eight years old? Why do you still feel the pain of a divorce that happened when you were 12 years old? If God's healed your past, why are you carrying the baggage? Just a question. He's healed my past. Sure he has. Legally. But it's not been enforced there's been no enforcement mechanism to manifest the freedom that Christ has promised. Just saying, we have to heal the areas of the past. We heal zero to 13. Zero, say what I mean, zero to 13 is so what happens to me, right? 13 to 21, that's all the regrets and the pains. That's usually where you come in, right? You did 13 years old, you got a mind of your own, right? Start living your levita loca, yeah. It's usually when we burn our house down, when we just curse our parents, we lose our virginity, you know, we party, we drink, we blast our brains out, we wake up not knowing where our car is, where's my pants, you know what I'm saying? No? None of you? No? <laughs> 13 to 21 is when we heal a lot of the regrets that we carry. That's when we're carrying and we have to heal the regrets. 21 on is usually when you've had the losses. That's when life punches you in the face. You lost the marriage. You lost the business, you know, something happened to you. There's a lot of regret and loss in that period of time, but it's a progress. You have to, so healing comes in phases and it has to be healed inside out. The outer world is the, is the, we're usually, we, we, we focus a lot in inner healing or on deliverance in the outer world, but the outer world is directly linked to the inner world. And until you heal the inner world, you cannot fully free yourself from the outer world. This is why people that do a lot of renouncing prayers, they only notice that the renouncing comes back. I renounce, I renounce, I renounce, that's awesome, renounce. Boink, it comes back. Why? Why? Because it's connected to something in the inner world. Anger, hate, violence, rage, abandonment, abuse, neglect. I said that in first service. Some lady said, that sounds like my whole life. You know, I was like, well, you know. We're all, we're all wounded. We're wounded directly or we're wounded indirectly. We're all wounded. We're all bag of cats, man. When man fell, he lost his covering. We, didn't, we lost not only our covering spiritually, we lost our covering emotionally and we're hurt emotionally. We hold anger because anger is our weapon. Anger is our defense mechanism to protect our vulnerability. We harbor unforgiveness and resentment in our heart, not because we want to, but because the soul knows if I let go of my forgiveness, and I let go and I release in forgiveness, I become vulnerable. And when I'm vulnerable, I experience pain. Therefore, I will not lower my guard. I will not do that because by doing that, I expose myself to pain. That's the inner world. God expects conscious forgiveness. Heaven, you're released. I willfully forgive. I willfully forgive myself, whatever. You're released. You're released. How is it that we can forgive people willfully and we still got it in us? How is that possible? Anybody with me? Huh? Is it because forgiveness, willful forgiveness isn't enough? How is it that we can willfully forgive that person and then every time we hear that song, we're like, you know? I heard that you're married now, you know, and then you start thinking about your boyfriend. And you're like, oh, I'm going to kill him. He's getting married. He took advantage of me for six years. I'm going to drive my truck. I'm going to get a truck, and I'm going to drive it right through that wedding reception. And I'm going to go, yo, you know what I'm saying? I mean, too close. Is that too close for anybody here? You know, too close, right? <laughs> or Whatever. Whatever. We willfully forgive, but we carry it. How is that? Because there's wounds associated with it. Another day, another time. I'll do an inner healing school, I don't know, maybe in the fall. So it's all good. But there's generational curses. Generational curses are what are over you. What are over you. It looks like patterns. Patterns like how? Is there a pattern in your family? Everybody's had a failed business. My mother, my grandfather, you know, my great grandfather, you know, my my you know, my cousin, and I can't seem to get my well, I just don't know. Maybe there's a bit maybe there's a problem here, you know. Is there a pattern of, of poverty? Is there a pattern of broken relationships? I had a woman one time, she was from Nigeria of all places, and she says to me, I don't believe in generational curses. And I'm like, you're, I'm like, girl, you're from the continent of Africa, and you don't believe in curses? I'm like, okay, I'd like to hear this one. And so she starts telling me, and she's like, no, 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 no. You know, and she's giving me all the theology and everything. And I said, okay, what, you know, tell me about you. And as she's telling me different things about her life, she starts telling me, every marriage in my family on my mother's side ended after seven years. She tells me this. She like names, I, I, She named like six, five, six. And, she, and it either ended in divorce or the brother died. He just died. I'm saying like black widow family, I guess. I don't know what's going on here. But there's, and I told her, I said, you don't see a pattern here? That's just natural, a pattern. Every male in my household on my father's side has diabetes. Everyone except me. Why? Why? Oh, it's just natural. You're genetically predisposed to such things. Maybe, but I doubt it. I doubt it. Every woman in our family, this happens to Every relationship, oh, just wait, you know, and then your, your ancestors are so bought in that they'll say, just wait till it happens to you, honey. It happens to all of us. Oh, you divorced? We all get divorced, honey. It's just what happens, you know, or some issue. It's a pattern. It's a curse that can affect you physically. They're curses that affect you mentally. Mental curses. A lot of witchcraft in the family, got a lot of mental problems. Write it down. Guaranteed. Trace it back. A lot of anxiety, a lot of freaky mind stuff going on. It's all there. Generational curses. I never participated in witchcraft. The Bible says it's visited to the third and fourth generation, Exodus 20. And you say, well, Ezekiel 18 says, the sins of the father will not be put upon the son. Yes, the civil sins of the father but not the spiritual sins. In other words, if your dad robbed a bank, you don't have to pay the price. Pi- that's, that's what Ezekiel 18 is saying. It's the civil crime. It's not the spiritual crime. It's the civil crime. So either that's true or the Bible's in contradiction. Well, the Bible's not in contradiction because Ezekiel 18 is talking about civil punishment. Talking about going to jail. Hey, my dad robbed a bank or something. You know, okay, well, forget the dad, arrest the son. Well, what do I got to do with anything there, you know? And God's like, look, the son is not going to pay for the, for the father's crime. But spiritually, it's a curse. It operates differently. Manifest. What is it? Delay, denial, destruction. Any delays, denials, and destruction in your life? Just asking. Huh? In what area of your life is there a delay, a denial, or destruction? Just think, just, just asking. Just, just putting it out there. Putting it out there. You ever have God tell you something and you know he said you can have this. This is yours. And you go to reach for it and it goes, whoop. You just can't get it? you can't reach it, but you know God's told you to get it. Anybody here, yeah. right? Or every time you step into something, something just blows up and it just blows apart. It just burns to the ground. Every time you build something, the, the devil just strikes to match, and throws it and it torches it. You can't ever seem to keep anything for any long period of time. Denial, right? You're denied, you can't get it at all. Or there's just this excessive delay Everything you get comes through this constant strain. It just takes you excessive amounts of time to get anywhere or to do anything. Just saying. It's accusations before the court of heaven. The, the devil is an anti he's an accuser at law. That's what the Greek word means accuser at law. What's he accusing you? He's not accusing you on your salvation, he's accusing you on rights. Another story. Come to the inner healing deliverance class. But they're real. And it's important to note that Jesus never denied it. He didn't correct the theology. He didn't say, hey, where are you guys getting this from? Where are you getting this idea that sin or generational sin even exists? It was very common among the Jews. They knew it. They knew it. That's why these disciples are quoting it so easy because they understood the generational sin. David had a generational curse. You guys know David? Anybody know David? His ancestor, Judah, committed adultery and had had an illegitimate child. And the Bible says that the child of the illegitimate son, the child of the illegitimate father, this is a curse. So some of you all, you, get, you got parents, you got kids you got that don't want to come to church? Were they born illegitimately? You might want to renounce that curse because it does exist. They can't sit still in church. They can't, they can't connect to church. They're always running around. It says the child of the illegitimate shall be, shall be kept from the congregation to the 10th generation. Do you know who the 10th generation from Judah is? starts with a D, ends with a D. David. Ten generations he enters. But up until then, no manifestation of that line. What was it? There's a curse, a curse of denial. What does he use? What does the devil use? He uses the word of God, right? Another story. I wish I had time. I have way more to say, but I don't have time. If you don't think it's real, Saul committed a sin. Saul broke covenant. There was a famine in the land. David, it comes and asks the Lord, why is there a famine? And he says, because Saul has brought a curse upon the nation. The leader, huh, why we should repent for America, (laughs) the leader brought a curse upon the nation, and there was famine. They didn't lose their spirituality. They were still spiritual. They still went to synagogue, you know? You know what I'm saying? They they, They still, you know, worshiped God, but there was a famine in the ability of the land to produce a harvest because the leader had sinned and broken covenant with the Lord. And David had to make the restoration. And when David made the restoration, the curse was lifted and life came. Yeah? Crazy. Jeremiah, can I throw you out there? Just because you're an easy target. Okay, his dad, so I've worked with Jeremiah. So I don't know how far I'm going to go with this. And I'm, I'm hesitating, but he keeps pushing me. And I'm trying to hold myself to a, to, to a, to a time here. Yeah, don't, don't encourage me. Don't really encourage me. It's not good. It's not good. All right. it's good, but it's not good. I'm trying to get to something. We haven't, you know, but, so Jeremiah's his family, like, he tells me all this crazy stuff about his family, so I was working with him along, along the way. And, you know, along the way, so long story short, he's, his ancestors are Ashkenazi Jews on his dad's side, and they're related to the Kohens, right, which are the people that served in the temple. So they've done blood tracing. His dad's done blood tracing and all this other stuff, and he's a Kohathite which means they were the ones who served in the temple. And Jeremiah's like, I don't understand what's going on in my heart. I said, I would look at every single priest, every single curse that was pronounced upon the priesthood. I said, I would look at every single one. He said, I don't understand why these things are happening to me. And I said, i look at, I said, that's your generation? I said, I would look at every single decree that was made against the priests. And he came back with like, what, eight pages? Eight pages. And he said, every single one of these things is in my life. Every single one of them. And did you see a difference when we renounced it? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you feel like things lifted? Did you think things shifted? 100%. 100%. Did he do anything there? No. He knew do anything. So you, here you have, uh, you even have um, uh, Daniel, who's a captive in Babylon. And Daniel's a captive in Babylon, and he never did anything. And Daniel was repenting. When the angel shows up to him, he's repenting for the sins of his ancestors. And the angel shows up. Daniel 9. The angel shows up while Daniel is repenting. He's repenting. We and our forefathers have sinned against you. And he was repenting, and the Lord showed up. And he was asking, How long do we stay in this state, Lord? How long? They'd been there 70 years. It was time to go back. Daniel's asking, Give me a night, give me a window. Will you give me a window? How long must we stay here? If repentance is the key, then let me offer you repentance. And so Daniel's offering repentance on behalf of the sins of the ancestors and boom the angel shows up. The angel shows up. It's all through the Bible. There's plenty of places where this happens. It's all there. So I guess my point was is generational curse is real. Of course they're real. You can keep crazy. I tell people all the time, you can keep crazy. You don't believe me? Keep crazy. You can keep crazy. You've had crazy for 20 years. You can have crazy. You've had crazy all your life. You can keep crazy. You want to keep crazy? Keep crazy. Crazy's not going anywhere. You have, to, you have to use the enforcement arm of the kingdom in order to, to possess the land. You have to use the enforcement arm of the kingdom to possess your finances, to possess, to possess your soul, to your mind, will, and emotion, right? Not your spirit. Soul is mind, will, and emotion. You have to use the enforcement arm of the kingdom. You have to learn to deal with this stuff. Spiritual warfare, yep, that's part of it. It's also, it, it's also authority of the kingdom. Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. In other words, we're fighting something and our weapons are not guns and swords, but we have weapons and we're commanded to pull down strongholds. We're commanded to take cities, storm gates. We're given armor. We're given all these things not to lay on our couch and watch Netflix. We're to we're to take possession of the land. Where's God promised you? Take possession of the land. God's promised me this, but there's giants there. There's this there. There's all these other things there. Drive them out. I don't know what I'm doing. The Holy Spirit knows what He's doing. Communal relationship. Another day, exactly. So did uh, Jesus sees this opportunity? They say, "Oh, this is a sin problem, Lord." And He's like, "Nope, this is an opportunity. This is an opportunity. Isn't that amazing? Where other people see a problem, Jesus sees an opportunity. Right? Sharing with a family this morning, and he was telling me he's like his his back is injured and he's out of work and he doesn't know how God's going to take care of him. I said, "Let's just get out of the fear right now. Let's move past the fear." let's believe God. I said, this is an opportunity for the Lord to show up on your behalf. This is an opportunity for Jehovah Jireh to show you who he is. He's going to take care of you. He said, you don't need to know how, but he's going to take care of you. Anybody ever had that experience? Where God took all the time. Where God took care of you and you didn't know how. He made it work when everybody said it wasn't going to work. That's who he is. Jesus said, I'm here to work as long as I'm in the world. When our work, it's ergon, so that's the word, E-R-G-O-N or E-R-G-O, ergo or ergon, and it doesn't mean physical labor, it means energy, energy. So with the Bible, Jesus is saying, my energy, my life force is to do the work of him. This is how we are to be. So we are as he is. Our life, our life force, our creativity, our wisdom, or whatever it is that we've been given is to bring honor and glory to Jesus. This is what we're supposed to do. And he says, we, my energy, my ergon, my life, my exer- all that I am, I am sent to bring glory to the Father. He spits, makes, makes, makes mud on the ground. Can you imagine? Imagine? You're a blind guy and you hear somebody like just hawkering. <laughs> You're like, okay. Not that I'm vulnerable here or not, or not you know, I'm totally vulnerable. He spits underground, makes clay, tells him to go wash in a pool of Siloam. Pool of Siloam comes from the spring of Gihon. Gihon is a spring outside of the city of Jerusalem. When the Jerusalem was being besieged, the king Hezekiah dug a, dug, a, dug a well, or dug an underground tunnel from the spring of Gihon into the city, and it became the pool of Siloam. It was the scent water, and it was the water of salvation. It was the water that was sent that saved the city. This is the water that Jesus drew from, or that the priests drew from when they poured the water out, and Jesus said, I'm the living water. He tells him to wash in the pool of Siloam. I am the sent one <laughs> who brings salvation. That's the, mirror, that's the mirror there. So he goes and he washes in the pool of Siloam. The man is healed. People don't believe it. Imagine. People don't believe it. You're healed. you really healed. Is this the guy? And they, yeah, that's the guy. No, that's not the guy. That just looks like the guy. And he's like, I'm the guy, man. This guy right here, I'm the guy. I'm the guy. Like, well, you don't look like the guy. I'm the guy, man. So what were the keys to his miracles? Are we doing this at 2.30? Is that when the thing is? Yeah, okay. So I, I was going to do more, but I can't. I was going to pray for y'all, but, you know, other things, other day. First service got prepared for the sick, but we have a meeting afterwards. So I'm my bad. I'm sorry. But um, well, let's say with me, what are the keys to the miracle? Ask me. Miracle? I'm going to tell you the keys to the miracle. The man did not resign himself to his condition. The prognosis over his life was he was blind, but he didn't see himself as a blind man. How do you know that? If he saw himself as a blind man, he would have been like, I'm blind. I'm blind. Any of you know, know Ricky Bobby, you'll know what I'm talking about. I'm blind. <laughs> He didn't see himself in his condition. He didn't resign himself, nor did he own the prognosis that was over him. You want a miracle? Stop owning the identity that other people put over you. Yeah. Yeah. One of the things with healing is you renounce the covenants made with the prognosis. Doctor says I have cancer. I guess I have cancer. Well, let's, what? No, no. Well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Hold on. A minute. It's because the doctor says it doesn't mean Jesus said it. You understand? We tend to own things that are not our father's voice. That's a whole sin of the garden, lowering yourself to a voice that is not your father's. Who told you that? The doctor, the clinician. Okay, did Jesus tell you that? No, okay. I knew a woman, she had thyroid cancer. She got healed completely, thyroid cancer. And they asked her, the doctor told her. And um, I said, what's the Lord say? I said, did Jesus tell you that? She's like, No. And she said, and she felt like she was going to die. I said, ask the Lord. I said, Jesus, because they're all, you know, it's like bad. It's like, this isn't good. It's going to her lymph nodes. Oh, no, it's going to go bad. It's really bad. And I said, what's the Lord say? They're like, they're telling me I'm going to die. I need to get my house in order. And I said, what does Jesus say? And I asked her to ask the Lord. And she said, I hear live and not die. I said, did he say you were going to die? I said, he just told you you're going to live and not die. And now, six years later, she's lived and not died. Do you understand this? Yeah. I don't believe it. I can't help you. I can't help you. So Jesus told the Pharisees earlier, he said, you know why you don't understand what I'm saying to you? So he told them in the last chapter, you don't know, you want, you want to know why you can't understand what I'm saying, why all this is going over your head, because it finds no place in your heart. You've already prejudged me. You've already, you have pre, pre, pre set conditions within your heart. You have a pre set theology. And what I'm saying to you, your system is already set. And so what I'm saying to you doesn't align with your, with your system. Therefore, it makes no sense to you. He said, this is why you don't understand what I'm saying, because my word finds no place in you. Yes. Wow. The man didn't resign himself to his condition. He was expectant of hope. Ready? Say this one. He got over his offense. Can you imagine? Jesus spits and rubs it in your eye. Right? Put that on CNN. They'd be like, he calls people the seed of the devil. That's what he did in chapter 8. You're of your father, the devil. You're either in my kingdom or you're of the devil. And you're not in my kingdom. You're descendants of Abraham by the earth, but you are not sons of the father, and you are sons of the devil. CNN, prophet of God, prophet who he's from God, calls calls religious leaders sons of the devil. Then proceeds to spit in a man's face in order to bring forth healing. Is he of God? You be the judge. He spits in his face. Say it with me. He got, he got over his offense. Do you know how offended we are? You know? We say, hey, we got a person, somebody here. We call out something, and the person won't come because they're offended. Oh, I don't want to be called out. Oh, I don't want to call out. Oh, I don't want to stay. I don't want to get prayed for. I mean, we do all these different things. Christians are offended at everything, man. At everything. Yeah? I get, you know, you see the stuff that people say to me on the internet. I'm just like, hey, whatever. Did you subscribe to the channel? Okay, good. Awesome. There's more to come. We got more. It's coming at you. <laughs> Why do you dress like that? What's up with your shoes? I don't know. What's up with this? You know, people say all kinds of stuff. You need to read the book of Acts. That's my favorite. I'm like, what? What does that have to do with anything I just said? Reading the book of Acts? Well, thank you for encouraging me that. Maybe I will. I'll take that as a prophetic word and I will read the book of Acts. I'm all in. Let's read the book of Acts. People say the worst things, man. People get offended at everything. They get Everything. And everybody's got something to say. Everybody's got something to say. Oh, I'm offended. Oh, you know, this church looks like a nightclub. I'm offended. You know, you don't have vibrating chairs in a fish tank. I'm offended. You know, I mean, everybody's offended. If you want God's power, say it with me. If I want God's power. I have to get over my foolish belief system, and I have to surrender my right of offense. And I have to stop being offended. Stop being offended. This guy wasn't offended. Jesus spits in the man's face. He could have been like, what are you doing, man? Get away from me. Who spits in a person's face? Who does that to a blind man? Seriously, who does that? (laughs) you imagine? But he doesn't. And then say this, he took action with obedience. Jesus told him to wash in the pool of Siloam. Let's again, let's set the scene, right? Spits in his face. Who does that? He doesn't get offended, right? And Jesus says, hey, go wash in the pool of Siloam. How far away is the pool of Siloam? We don't know. But it wasn't right beside him. You know what I'm saying? He could have said, I don't even know where the Pool of Siloam is, dude. You know what I'm saying? But he didn't say that. He didn't take offense to that. Hey, say it with me. He didn't complain. He did what he was told. Got me? His heart is probably like, I don't know where the Pool of Siloam is, but I'm going to find it. I don't, Jesus just told me to go to the Pool of Siloam. I'm going to the Pool of Siloam. And he's probably crawling on his hands and knees. Hey, anybody know where the Pool of Siloam is, man? Anybody know? Yeah, keep going straight, bro. Keep going straight. You're going to hit the Pool of Siloam. Okay, I'm going to hit the Pool of Siloam. And kunk, he probably clunked it with his head. Kunk, water. Hey, 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 is this the pool of Siloam? This is the pool of Siloam. And then he washes his face and he can see. How many of you would do that? How many of us would get offended and he spit in our face? How many of us would own our condition and be buried in the words of other people and not the voice of our Father? How many of us? How many of us would get on our hands and knees or stagger and, you know, scrape along a wall? until we found a pool because we can't see, we don't know where we're going. How many of you have been told by God to go in a direction and you don't know where you're going? Right? You want to see where you're going, Kevin? Do this first. You know? That's the key to his miracles. Key to his miracles right here. This is what happened. So what happened. Don't be offended. Don't own your condition. I'm broke. Who told you that? I'm rich in Jesus. I'm blessing my coming in, blessing my going out. All I need is seed and seasons and it's coming back to me. You've lost everything. There's nothing that has been lost that will not be restored. And the Lord is a multiplier of all that is lost. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Amen. Right. Spiritual kingdom people, don't you want a spiritual kingdom? Doesn't it feel better to be alive? <laughs> Amen. Well, I wanted to pray for the sick, but I don't have time. Like that's lame, Pastor. Yeah, I know it's lame, it's totally lame. But we did pray in the first service. And we saw some a lot of cool things. So, can they pause for twenty five minutes? Yeah. So if you're here for Discover Elevate, we're just gonna have a little bit of a a mild delay. Say, I got somewhere to go. Say it with me. Get over your defense. Get over your offense. All right, let me just see if I hear anything. Anybody have any liver disorders? I know, you can't see this one, but you got liver? Anybody got liver? Chronic liver disorders? Diagnosed chronically with a liver disorder? Chronic liver disorder? Anyone? Don't be offended. No? Awesome. Uh, so we're going to bring the ministry team out here. I'm going to come over here. I'm going to pray for you. And I also want to pray for any, any, specifically, car accidents. Car accidents, lingering effects from a car accident. Pain from a car accident. So we saw like three people healed from car accidents.